So we're just kicking it off with this one, folks. How do you operate a pipe band safely in the COVID-19 era? Now, this, I, I'd like to leave all conspiracy theories out of this. Let's go with like conventional wisdom pertaining to COVID-19, which is, you know, it'd be really bad. Maybe not so much for a young person to get it, but for an older person to get it. So all of us participating in pipe bands, we can't really afford to get it because we have loved ones that we care about. So like, how do you do that? How do you operate a pipe band safely and get it up to performance shape safely? I welcome any thoughts. I, I have a thought, but I mean, I don't know if you want me to. Start ruining it yet? <laughs> well, I want. I, we'll weigh in as well, obviously. But Janet kind of agrees with Andrew that it's not looking too positive for next year. It's funny as you guys are answering the question. I had I had a chat with Terry Lee, um, this week, and and he re- he thinks that it's very unlikely that there's going to be a world's next year either. Yeah. And then he said, I kind of wonder. Uh, if your band, he was talking about Inverary, I kind of wonder if your band will be the last world champions. Hmm. That's kind of, you know, it's kind of I interesting. It. No, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll come back at some point. Um, I see no reason it would disappear on a long-term basis. But... Well, here's the thing, right? There's clearly a ton of enthusiasm still for piping. But, you know, I think people need to get real. We're getting a little bit real here at the dojo. We have to get real about, you know, uh, how the world is probably going to change here permanently. Um, and, uh, you know, or, at, you know, let's just put it this way. It's not going to end in October. So, like, what are the actual big things that we need to think about? I think, And I think it's worth thinking about. For example, what if you can't get together with your band for another year, another year and a half without, you know, uh, without significant portions of your membership being, you know, nervous about it. At risk, what are you, yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, folks? It's time to start thinking about that instead of thinking about when you can get back to normal. Because I think whatever normal is, it's going to be different than what it used to be. All right, let's see what some people said. Uh, Zoom does not work well with bands, Nancy says. Yeah, well, again, we might have to start to get over that and figure out ways to make it work well. But I hear you. It's tricky, right? Um, Bob says the average age of our band is about 60. Many older yeah. members do not want to risk getting together. Yeah, right? And, the th- and, and think about, and there's younger people, too, with metabolic conditions that put them at high risk as well. Or, or just the, the very simple thing, like there's younger people in the band that go home to older people right like well there's that too. <laughs> there's that <laughs> yeah Ephraim says social distance social distance with masks don't show if having symptoms Zoom don't show in. up if you're having symptoms that right is- i got gotcha. you yeah. yeah yeah so you could do that i mean that's kind of what a lot of um that's kind of what a lot of people are doing right like as you walk in, you take your temperature and you wash your hands and you do a little waiver that, you know, checking off the check boxes. Yep. The problem is you might not know you have it. If you have it, I don't know. Uh, we all should, get <laughs> here's Gideon. Uh, we should all just quit <laughs> bagpiping then. I guess it's the end of the bagpiping era. Well, I, I definitely think that you're kind of right about that. Now, I don't think it's the end of bagpiping, but certainly could be 
we could be experiencing the end of the bagpiping world as we know it. Like, I think drastic changes may occur here in the next couple of years. Um, certainly, I mean, maybe a magical vaccine is going to come out that makes every single person feel super stoked to go back to the old way, but that doesn't seem that likely. Uh, but thank you for that, Gideon. Gideon is our resident uh, curmudgeon. Uh, uh, let's see. Which is good, because usually it's me, so I love having a new bad cop in town. Uh, Matt... Uh, MQM says the worlds will come back, but we might lose a lot of minor games. Here's the thing about the worlds, right? Certainly for 2021. Um, even if they have the worlds, how many people can travel to the worlds uh, safely. From, in, from safely from international locations? Legally and or safely and or will be willing to risk it. Um, right planning that takes months and months and months yeah. in advance all those reservations the risk of it being canceled the risk of it just not being able to go like three days before they say sorry everyone's out that money yeah okay yeah so, travel insurance and all that but so will the rspba have events yeah probably but uh grade one bands will look a lot different and you won't be able to call the worlds the worlds not really uh, until all the international participants can participate again. Oh, uh, ha have no doubt. They're going to call it the world. Oh, yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, Su Susan says, to get it to the performance quality is the kicker. Playing in a field outside is one thing, but it takes much more, right? Exact. That's exactly right. Pipe bands don't really work that well, all standing six feet apart, and no one trying, to, no one getting too close to anyone, and it's certainly going to be like, you know, blowing on people's reeds and fixing people's drone reeds and like getting hands on pipes. Like it's all just going to be weird, right? Can't do that. You just can't. Herb, Safely. Herb says, what is the age group of the members of the dojo? Uh, well, the dojo is all ages, but certainly we, um, uh, certainly we lean towards the retirement crowd. Uh, people who people who are sort of, you know, maybe not necessarily retired yet, but maybe that day is coming and they have some disposable income and they want to hang out and play pipes a lot. So, uh, yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> you guys stay safe out there, please, for the, for the good of the business. All right, Janet, Janet says, uh, Channer practice could go through Zoom with a band, kind of. Bands could practice safely outside if they social distance, however... That we, yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Janet, you beat us to it here. Yep, you said pipe majors putting chanterines in their mouths, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I recently had a fairly scary health scare. Sorry, that's a bit redundant. Uh, pertaining to that exact issue. So I had really swollen lymph nodes for many months. Um, and, and I had to go get the whole, like, CAT scan and everything because they were really worried about them. And it turns out, after doing blood work, that I had mono. But uh, I'm not running around. I'm not running around kissing people, right? So how did I get it? Well, there's one pretty obvious way a guy like me could get mono, which is uh, you know working with the local band, working with students. I went to Kansas City in January, and um, I remember uh, you know blowing on different people's reeds and doing the Scott and the Brave tests and all that stuff. So you know. Uh, Luckily, I'm not, hopefully, going to die anytime soon. So that's the good part about that. John says we practice at a church. So we're at their mercy about when to reopen. Yeah. 
Uh, Bob says, we will lose a lot of our gigs. Yeah, and then like think about all the gigs that we're going to lose. Yeah. Mike says, it's funny. My, in my band, it's the older folks that aren't as worried about getting together. Yeah, that's the same here with the, the local group. And it's like, guys, I don't think you understand. Like, yeah. it's probably not going to be me that suffers. Hopefully not you either, but like we need to be better about this. Like Carl, you are a metabolic wonder of the world. You know, <laughs> you are a true specimen. So I think you'll be fine. I think so. I hope so. But you know, um, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things you you got to sort of reinvent the band a little bit if it's gonna continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet tried. She sang at a funeral, wow. and it was extremely challenging with a mask on. I would imagine. Nancy says there's an issue with both travel and not being able to rehearse together. Uh huh. Oh yeah, Nancy buys into the bass drummer. The the bass drummer talking point. Huh? Oh, All right, we can we could put like a full respirator on the bass drummer. We we don't really need to hear them or. They don't need to use their mouth, so. I know it's I know it's risky to do this nowadays, but like, let's just say the bass drummer usually fits a certain stereotype that puts one at risk for uh, uh, contracting COVID as well. Usually a little older, usually a little thicker around the middle, usually smokes a lot, usually drinks a lot. Uh, That's usually the bass drummer, right? Happy-go-lucky party type guy? Yeah. So it might have something to do with the whole circle... Uh, pointed at him while they play, uh, or just that they're a real rabble rouser. So there's that. <laughs> I love it. One of Mike's drummers calls the bagpipers little virus sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and cows do love bagpipes. I can I can also attest to that. Having not that long ago, a year ago, played for a whole group of cows. It was really fun. There, you go. there could be there could be more of that coming your way. There <laughs> could uh, be. That's the only way we're gonna get an audience as pipers. So uh Tom says the new motto, the dojo does not blow. I like that. Uh Lou says, last Tuesday, we are banned. Practiced on a farm. Oh yeah. Sorry that you sorry, you just did that one. And played for the cows. Mike says, one of our drummers, little virus sprinklers, you just said that too. Uh cows love bagpipes, know the drum major. Oh, yeah, the drum major definitely should not be... Uh, there should be no drum major competitions either. Uh, crazy drum majors. Uh, my brother leads a brass band, and they are facing many of the same issues. They have no idea of when they can practice, play, and compete together again. It's real. I mean, and, and I guess here's my thoughts, and it's probably not the, the newest thing I've said this before, but if, if we're going to have band practices in the near future... The, the, the impetus is that the individuals need to ve- develop their own skills to be able to come to band practice with an in-tune instrument, to make the adjustments to their instrument themselves. With some feedback from the pipe major, sure, saying, mm, it's not quite right there, why don't you adjust the drones, or why don't we do this to your channel? But it's, it's got to be on the individual to be comfortable enough to do that, to have the skills and ability to make those changes now. And that could be a really positive thing that comes out of this across bands at any level. You know, if you get together, well, logistically speaking, I can't touch your read. I can tell you what to do with it, and I can help you learn that skill, but 
that's going to significantly improve, I think, pipe bands in the long run, if you take that approach. I think that's kind of exciting to well, sort of put a happy spin on it. Um, exciting is one word for it, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you're right, though. I think you're right. I think, uh, I think that actual individual responsibility is going to be the solution, but I think, you know, just to go back negative on you, uh, I think one of the reasons people love pipe bands is that they can show up and Big Daddy Pipe Major does everything for them. You know what I mean? And that paradigm is going to, like you say, it's going to have to change, which is yeah. kind of theoretically good, except for how many people are just never going to show up anymore uh, because they don't have stuff done for them anymore. And they might actually have to do some preparation outside of band practice. Uh, that's going to be. But we, we know the people that are here and that, what, yes. that are already members of the dojo, that's not them. They're already people that want to get better. Like, that's why you guys are here, right? I mean, you want to get better. You want to develop your own personal skills. So we know that's not you. Um, and so bands might be smaller. I think they will be smaller. But maybe a more motivated, more passionate group of individuals. And then I think there'll also be a fair few people that will just take this time to sort of reorient and find ways to express themselves as a piper aren't necessarily a band, but doing more solo work, digging into the music a bit more, doing some history work on it, or, you know, writing music, looking at harmonies, learning new tunes, that sort of stuff. I think we'll see people do that too. I think so too. So there you go. I think that's a good discussion. I think it's good. Uh, I think those discussions are starting to happen because it's, uh, you know, I think what we found in the U.S., is every time the, a large groups of people get together, we see spikes in cases. And uh, obviously, that seems to mean, you know, more deaths as well. So, like, you know, that's the biggest issue. The get-togethers is what's doing it. Yeah. And uh, so, so, the, so piping is, I mean, it's kind of weird, right? But it's going to have to be remote for, for a while now. Yeah. We've had seven new pipe... Camille, I liked it here. And now some good news from Down Under. We've had seven new pipe learners start since quarantine restrictions lifted here a month ago. Lockdown was a great inspiration for everyone's dream to play the bagpipes one day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Everything is going to be different on how we approach what we take for granted. I like it. Uh, been looking at the contemporary set that expresses this year. We are playing Everyday Heroes and On the Turning Away. Got it. Looking for a third tune. Um, still not playing in the band in this part of Down Under. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. What do you say we get to some questions? Uh, is there any need to teach the internet this week? I don't think so. Nothing that immediately you, you comes could, You could just introduce the new feature, which is the GIFs and the link previews, if you want. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to talk. I don't want people... I don't actually want people using those. Uh, yeah, Ray said he asked a question about the manometer. Yeah, we got we, it. We have. It's in the we'll, queue. We'll All right, question number one. Let's get to it. Uh, I remember. I think I answered this one online, or sort of, yeah. maybe sort of. My size medium hybrid Bannatine bag recently catastrophically failed a leak test. That's a mouthful. Uh, and I'm trying to decide quickly whether to get another medium or to go for the Willie McCallum size. So Willie McCallum is like a special cut. 
of the Bannatine bag uh, that's a little bit different than just the standard cut. So it, it, it fits the body a little bit differently. And it's very popular. I was able to test drive one and was able to get my arm around it much more easily uh, because uh, this person is petite, just a bit over five feet tall. And you know now that this is a woman speaking because a man would never call himself petite. Uh, but it seemed like I had to give it a lot more frequent breaths to keep the blowing pressure high enough. By the way, if, if you ask this question and you're a man, I'm just joking. It's just a joke. Uh, well, no problem. If you leave off the E, then you'd still be correct. Petite. Well, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe the garçon de français. Um, let's see. I was under the impression that the volume of air should be the same in both style bags. So it should be. So, uh, so basically, they like the feel of the Willy bag, but when they tried another person's pipes, it seemed like it was really hard to keep the pipes going. Okay. That's probably their pipes. <laughs> That's exactly right. So if the if the bag is more comfortable, aka you you exhibit better posture when you play the Willie McCallum bag. That's what you go with. The volume of air will be the same, or you sort of like the the basic idea. Being able to keep the pipes that you know operating super efficiently it does not change regardless of what make or model or size of bag you have. The what you're probably experiencing here is that your buddy has a poorly set up bagpipe. You should refer them to the 13 yeah. steps of bagpipe maintenance. <laughs> like it's possible their read is just a lot harder than yours, uh, but then it's also probable that they haven't asked the four questions of bagpipe maintenance. So go with the Willy bag if it feels better. For me, the standard Bannatine is more comfortable than the Willy for sure. I, I'm, you know, it just doesn't, the Willy bag doesn't feel good for me, so I got, I would go with the regular sizing. But we're we're a little bit bigger than the person who asked this question. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, cool. All right, uh, next one. Nancy has a quick little interjection here um, about the uh, upcoming. What workshop. are we? Uh, what are we? Which workshop is that, Nancy? We've got three of them coming up. Yeah. Uh, if you're referring to the if you're referring to the Pipe Major Symposium, uh, which is our uh, our newest workshop, which she is, it would appear. Ah, okay. Uh, and so it's it's for pipe majors, pipe sergeants, and any aspiring pipe core leader. And where can they find more information? Uh, there's an email going out today where you can join the wait list to sign up. Uh, and our, our, our guest pipe majors for this is, are going to be current world champion pipe major Stuart Little, five-time world champion Robert Matheson, and current uh, grade one medley champion pipe major Alan Bevan. Those are going to be our three guests. Uh, and information about that is coming out today uh, where you can Stay get on the tuned. wait list. Yeah, the wait list um, is key. And you can forward that to them, Nancy. Yeah, and, you know, if, if it's not for you, please, yeah, please do forward them on. I think it's going to be pretty cool. We've got some great ideas. Like, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to release a 2020 Pipe Majors Guide to the Galaxy uh, after, our, um, after our event, which is going to be all of the notes from all the lectures at the workshop condensed into text form. It's going to go in the book. And then also we're going to ask a set of, of questions to all three Pipe Majors, and we're going to put their answers to all of those questions all in the book as well. So, so an attendee of the workshop is going to have like 
um, a real like memento that they can take home with them. And we're not going to sell any copies of that book. So all, only the people who attend are going to get to have this like really cool uh, handbook. That's going to be neat. Others, other interesting things will be, one other interesting thing is we're going to try and do a directory of all the pipe majors who attend so that they can stay in contact with each other. Because one of the things Camille said is that it's very lonely at the top when you're a pipe major and you don't usually have a lot of support and you don't always know what you're doing. And so just to have people that you can talk to could be really valuable too. Even if they're pipe major of a band that's not even as good as your band, it's still good. I still get tips from Beth all the time. Well, I mean, dealing with personnel is the same at any level. You know, that, those sort of issues are, are very similar, and so that's it's absolutely true. Um, so Nancy said, "Will there be a partner link?" Very savvy, Nancy. Nancy wants to get paid if she refers her pipe major to the workshop. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there will be a partner link. Um, it'll be similar that uh, it, it, it'll not be the full 33%. Uh, for these big, expensive events, we just can't afford that level. But uh, John says, at what point during this symposium will you talk about the blog 10 ways to make a pipe major sex? Yeah, we'll probably <laughs> leave that out. Uh, probably leave that out of this one. Uh, but it could be fun. Uh, it could be fun to hear their comments on it. Um, yeah. Does it come towel? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And then what's an AITA for pipe majors? Oh, I forgot the most important feature of our event, which is each registrant uh, gets a half hour session with all three of the pipe majors one-on-one. -on -one. That's like the, to me, that's the most important feature. So we got tons of lectures and stuff come, going on, but then you'll also get the chance to sit down one-on-one -on -one with each one of the pipe majors to like do whatever you want with them. Ask them questions, show them recordings of your band, help them, like ask them to help you select repertoire, ask them how they deal with certain situations, like whatever you want one-on-one. -on -one. It's gonna be sweet. That's for me, that would be the best part. Got it. Got it. It's a Douglas Adams joke. Got it. Douglas Adams is the author, right? Is that uh, what I'm missing? Of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy, yeah. Some people refer to Douglas Adams as uh, the greatest philosopher of all time. I mean, his book's amazing. It's, it's actually it's a, it's a gem. I think, that, I think it's Elon Musk who thinks he's the greatest philosopher of all time. Maybe that's where I heard it. So there you go. Um, next question. Can you explain the relationship, if any, between SCQF levels and band grades? So SCQF is the Scottish Qualifications Board uh, certifications for bagpiping. And he's asking, like, does it correlate to um, the grade levels of pipe bands? And the answer is no. Uh, implicitly, yes, but explicitly, no, they have nothing to do with each other. Right? So... It doesn't matter what SCQF level you have, you might still, you know, struggle to make the band, so to speak. Uh, but with that said, uh, taking SCQF certifications will inevitably really help you uh, because it helps your overall piping. So obviously that would help you get into a higher level band. Yep. Got me? Um, 
Uh, next question. This one's for you, Carl. How do I know when my practice chanter reads need to be replaced? There you go. And uh, let's see. They stop working, I think, is the, is the real answer there, or they start becoming extremely unpredictable in a short period of time. Um, I, I know the person who asked this is also fairly new to bagpiping, and then right. that read was like three weeks or three months old or something like that. It's not that old. So, yeah, I, I'm not convinced that the read is an issue. Um, but, yeah, so basically... What do you do when your read stops working in the middle of a practice session? Let's say you've been playing for 15 or 20 minutes and it just sort of gunks up and stops working and you can't really blow anymore. The solution is almost always that there's water in one of these three components. In here, we want to kind of shake it out carefully, get any air, any water droplets in there out of the inside of the tube. You can also slow down it. We want to carefully wipe off any standing moisture on the outside of the reed, and then you can do the same thing. Blow backwards on the reed and blow out any moisture from the inside. And lastly, the same thing here, we can blow out moisture backwards. Um, and that usually fixes it. Mm -hmm. And if not, have a spare, spare channer, uh, practice channel reed that you can pop in and you know, they do go bad. They usually last several years, if not more. But they do go bad. So, you know, get another. Now, Rachel said. Rachel says, it doesn't even after it's been drying all night. So, like, look, as a beginner, it could be that the reed's not that great. Yep. But um, it's also very common that the reed gets wet. And then even after the reed gets wet, it's also quite common for people not to be blowing the right air pressure through it. We could either be, we could be blowing too hard on our reed um, and, and it could shut off, okay? Uh, or we could be under blowing on our reed and it makes weird funky sounds on us. We talk about this a little bit in the tutor, but it's easy, it, we talk about it early on, so it's easy to maybe take your eye off the ball. But if I play, if I blow too hard, my reed is going to keep cutting off, right? Does that mean I need a new channel reed? No, it means I'm playing like any new reed I get, I'm going to have the same problem, right? It just in that case, I'm just blowing too hard, right? Which and is very common for a beginner. And then just to finish up, not blowing hard enough. <laughs> This particular chanter, whenever I play low G, it tends to want to like dip down into that uh, yucky, uh, angry duck range. Yeah. So, um, so there's like a variety of things that could make it seem for a beginner that your chanter reads not good where it might be fine. So what I would do is, here's what I would do. Action step. Go order two more chanter reads. So that you that you have three chin reads laying around, and if you ever, as a beginner, if you ever get to the point where one of the reads you think it's not good anymore, switch the one of the other two in and see if it's better or not. You know, yeah. and then you'll always kind of have options, and you'll never be without a chin to read because that would be the worst thing. What were you going to say, Carl? I was going to say that the other thing is, you know, you might have realized this issue start at the same time that you learned maybe grace notes or another embellishment where we've now introduced more complex things. Yeah. 
And sometimes we have that impulse to sort of push hard on a grace note or something. Mm-hmm. And we do that both physically on our hands, but inadvertently blow a little bit harder. Uh, this is a perfect example on the practice channel of a mental blowing anomaly. It's something that we're doing in our playing that's reflected in our lungs. And we have to try to avoid those. And Rachel asks, well, how do I not blow too hard? Ooh, oh, I know the answer to this one. Here, here's what you do. Don't. <laughs> uh, here's what you, exactly. So you take, the, you take how hard you're currently blowing and reduce it. And that's how you do it. You got to learn it. <laughs> no, it's I, a feel I know. thing. I know what she's saying, right? So it's really hard not to overblow, especially uh, based on all the stuff Carl just said. But guess what? You just have to blow less hard. And you have to work on it and practice it. And it's it will not, come. It's not a switch that you can dial, right? So, so yeah. The same is true when we get to the pipes, right? You, you start off with a really easy read, generally, and you struggle to get it efficient, and eventually you get the hang of it. You've got a nice solid bagpipe, and then most beginners end up overblowing that read. Um, and it's the same thing, right? Whether it's practice channel or pipes, eventually you have to learn how to blow hard enough in the sweet spot, and also not over that if the read's easy. We have to learn that control, and that takes time and practice and error and mistakes. Try, fail, and, you know, try again. So, uh, and then, yeah, based on the, um, what she said in the remainder of her comment here, uh, you're playing along and then you hit a note and suddenly no air gets through the read. It sounds to me like overblowing. If it's not moisture, it's overblowing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, can we get to uh, Ray's question? Okay, Ray has to go. Let's do the manometer question next. Thanks for manometer. letting us know, Ray. Yeah. First time I've been online and asking a question about manometers, having just done part three of the instrument final metals course, is a mechanical tire gauge type okay? Want me to answer this one? Um, sure. Sure. So the answer is it works. It's probably not as good. It's not as good in our opinion as a water manometer for one pretty simple reason. That tire gauge, you have to be exceptionally focused on it for it to be accurate. I mean, you could glance away for a moment and get a big surge or dip and not see it. The water manometer gives you sort of a running average. And so because we're, we're pushing on water there, if you get a big surge, that water is going to go up and then it's going to sort of rebound there. So you can look back at your sort of last few seconds of playing history in that, in seeing that the water's still bouncing around. Um, and we can tell whether there was a big surge or a dip or something like that. It's also a lot more easy to focus on. Um, it's a little further away. It's not like right in front of you. There's a million ways to set it up, but we definitely prefer the water manometer. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I'm a little bit stronger of a personality as P, as one person recently told me. And I would say it would be better to use nothing at all than to use a tire gauge, right? So the reason the, the reason the dojo style tube manometer, which is not really the dojo style, it's just a tube manometer, but it's now called the dojo style, uh, because of this exact opinion, right? But that is very visual as Carl was saying, um, and it makes a lot of sense. You can move the markers around and it can actually be used as a learning tool, right? The tire gauge really 
doesn't work as a learning tool. It's just a little needle that moves and like you can't really see anything of that much worth. So it would be better to have nothing at all and to just use your ears and your other senses to determine whether or not you're blowing steadily. Okay, it would be better to just not have anything at all than to use a tire gauge, in my opinion. Um, and it's not because it doesn't work. It, it measures pressure extremely well, but not in a way that's particularly useful to us when it comes to learning the skills of uh, good tonal production. Capiche? That's, you know, that's, that's really my, I, I have strong opinions, and that is what the opinion is. I can tell you, having played in the Chicago Midlothian Band under Adrian Melvin a number of years ago, and they used a split channer stock where they drilled a hole and put one of those gauge manometers on it. And I can remember getting yelled at for not blowing steady. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm watching the gauge. And of course, the moment I look up to, you know, look at the pipe major's fingers or something like that, I wasn't steady because I was not using my ears. I was told to watch the little gauge manometer. So I'd look down, it'd be fine. It'd be in the little green wedge that we highlighted. But I wasn't blowing steady. You know? yeah. And I got yelled for it, and I didn't understand because I wasn't really using... I wasn't using my ears. I wasn't using logic. I was just doing what I was literally told and not really understanding the principles behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a total, that's a real risk of the dojo style manometer too. So what right. people do is they grab their manometer and they hook it up and they stare at the line and they, uh, they keep it pretty steady, uh, but they never bothered to connect that with their ears and their musical intuition. So as soon as they step away from that manometer... Uh, yeah. it's, it's all like all that's gone because, you know, uh, it's not, uh, the point of the manometer is not to see if you can do it. The point of the manometer is to train yourself, uh, to know where the sweet spot is and to be able to hear and feel and sense when things are going awry from a steadiness perspective. Okay. Yeah. Um, good. Next question. I, I hope that helps to, uh, uh, was it Ray? Yeah, Ray, right. I hope that and helps. Go to the blog on our website. There's an article on how to build your own. Yeah. Help. And then John Holcomb, if you wanted to reach out to him, he's got some, I think, that that he's selling kind of for not very much. Yeah. So if you if you just want to get one sent to you, reach out to John. He's your man. I, I think I think he's Ray is down. Oh, right, right. He's saying gotcha. it was like 10.30. So that's probably not the best option. It's, it's very expensive in shipping. That's all. How do you guys feel about using something like a vibration metronome, like a sound burner pulse metronome, when a person is having trouble hearing a regular metronome? Go ahead, Carl. We experimented with those. Um, we had ones from uh, um, Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. And they were cool. And, yes, they work. Uh you could also just get an amp for way less money and turn it up. Um, just plug in a regular like phone, hook it up to your amp, and turn it up so that you can hear the metronome. Um, it's, an, it's another tool that would absolutely help you learn that. If it works for you, go for it. Andrew's not thrilled about the idea. I'm not opposed to it. So here's, a, here's my opinions on the matter, which are strong as usual. Uh, <laughs> You just want a loud metronome, folks. You just want a loud metronome. Like Carl said, you can do it fairly cheaply if you get an amp. But, like, why is it important to have a loud metronome? Well, 
It's because it's auditory signals that we need to learn how to uh, synchronize with as musicians. Okay. Um, now, granted, you could tap your foot, and that's a little bit of a feel thing. But like anytime you play with a drummer or another piper, what are you doing? Like you're taking audible, audible stimulus uh, through your ears, and you're working to match it, right? So for the metronome to be audible, in my opinion, which is strong and also correct, um, that's way more uh, that's way more useful to a learner than the pulse would be. Uh, however, the pulse can be kind of handy in some situations, like, well, maybe potentially, like the Peterson one used to synchronize with other metronomes. So you could actually do uh, an inaudible uh, click track for multiple mu musicians to be able to feel, especially in a situation where hearing is difficult, like in a super reverberant space, let's say, or... Um, on a stage, right? Instead of uh, lip syncing the whole thing, you could just be synced up uh, rhythmically. Um, and so that, that could, that's kind of interesting, but as a learning tool, you should always just get your metronome to go loud. Grab an amplifier or some com computer speakers that you can really crank up. Yep. Um, that's, so the correct answer is pulse metronomes are cool, but not a replacement for aud audible, the audible ones. Because that's what musicians do, right? Musicians primarily, like our primary source of, you know, uh, producing ensemble and and getting our the feedback that we need to adjust what we're doing is it's auditory. That's the primary. So that's what your metronome should be. Uh, can you give real life explanations of the three day sprint? So, uh, in our bagpipe freedom intensive, that we're going to be operating in October and November, um, it's gonna, there's gonna be 12 three-day sprints that happen. So uh, what a three-day sprint is, is it's a uh, intense focus on a single thing for three straight days. That's all it is. So a like- A single fundamental, right? Yeah, a single fundamental focus. For example, uh, grace note quality. So for the next three days, all we're going to do here is we're going to look at parts one and two of tune number X, simplified, just looking at how we can produce better and better grace notes in that specimen of music. That's all a three-day sprint is. So you can do this on your own. You don't need the intensive. Um, although the intensive is uh, really is going to be really good for those doing it because, um, because you'll have so many resources at your disposal to help you really dig deep. But that's what it is. It could be grace note quality. It could be eliminating crossing noises. But the really important thing is that we, uh, we don't take our eye off that one ball at any time. That's the way we're going to leverage those three days to actually become like better at that one thing. Whose question was that? That was Lou's. Lou's, yeah. Yeah, Lou's. So, what we're going to do in the intensive is you're going to have a combination of your written materials. You're going to have a, uh, you're going to have your video lesson. You're going to have supplemental media materials available to you. You're going to have your one-on-one -on -one with Glenn. You're going to have open uh, question and answer sessions with me and with Carl. You're going to have a forum of all the people involved in the intensive that you can write in and ask for feedback, right? So the cool thing about the intensive is you're going to have all those resources to really help you a, become aware that you're incompetent, right? 
and then work on areas of incompetence um, and to the point where you're going to be able to do it. And then the real goal at the end of each three-day sprint, if at all possible, is that we've done so much of this that we're now unconsciously competent at doing it. Like that's the end goal at, at the end of each three-day sprint. Sue says, my awareness level is already quite high. Exactly. So for someone like you, Sue, you've been around for a while. We need to go from being aware of, of things in which we are less competent. See, I changed the wording to be more diplomatic. Uh, so uh, to go from being aware of it to being able to be competent without even having to think about it. Right. That's what we're going to try to do. That refers to the, I think they're called the Nidifer quadrants but it's a sort of four stages of learning and we have we don't know what we're doing wrong we know what we're doing wrong but can't quite fix it we can fix it when we're really paying attention and the one that we need to get all skills to we don't need to focus on it and it's still correct right so it's like um uh how do you walk and chew bubblegum at the same time well the chewing of bubblegum needs to become so natural that you don't even think about it anymore. Think about, go ahead and do that with me. Picture yourself chewing bubblegum. Are you thinking about the mechanics of it? At the very beginning, when you first put it in your mouth, you think, oh, this tastes great. And maybe you think about the first couple of chews, but then you just do it as you go about your day and you don't think about it, right? And the same is true of walking for most of us who are, you know, who don't have some sort of um, like walking impediment of some kind, let's say. Or maybe we're very old and we don't walk as easily anymore. But when we're youthful and young, uh, past the age of two, you don't think about walking. You just do it. And then you can do a, a, anything else you want to do at the same time because you become unconsciously competent with that thing. Um, and you're doing it correctly as well. So it doesn't usually come back to bite you. Although uh, I, I remember accidentally walking into a lamppost uh, an Oban one time, and I, I wasn't even under the influence of any adult beverages or anything. So I did that it, not so long ago in Glasgow. I think it's something about the Scottish street posts. Yeah, they're very sneaky, those, those British yeah. street posts. Uh, the yeah, same right. thing, I was on the way to the bar. It was not on the way back. <laughs> um, riding oh, a bike, Herb says it's like riding a bike. It, riding a bike is maybe more... Uh, more similar to what we're trying to do on the pipes because the bike has several complicated systems and skills that have to be integrated uh, uh, in order to be able to operate that with a level of unconscious incompetence, right? So uh, there's the pedaling, there's the balancing, there's the brakes, uh, and there's the steering, uh, and there might even be more. Well, and then there's like, and then there's all of the you know, and then there's good form and higher level stuff. Oh, it's shifting gears is one of them, right? So uh, an excellent cyclist is so good at all those things that they can focus on the intricate strategies of a race without having to, uh, you know, zero in on any of those discrete systems. And that's what we need to do as pipers, right? There's, there's approximately 10 discrete systems that have to become unconsciously competent in order to be or in order to achieve bagpipe freedom, as we've started to call it here at the dojo, right? In order to be free to express yourself, we have to master 10 uh, discrete systems, and they have to integrate simultaneously without having to consciously think about any of them. And that's what we're going to do in the intensive. Lou got what he needs, and now he's out of here. See you, Lou. <laughs>
Um, I have a question. Lately on pipes, I have the chanter read squeal during parts of my tunes. Is that overblowing? So uh, it's probably overblowing. It could definitely be that your read is old and needs to be replaced. Um, and, it, and then the last possibility is that there's something inside your read that is disturbing the vibration of the blades, like some gunk or a piece of sand or whatever. I, I, there's one other possibility. You could also just be missing the holes slightly. Oh, yeah. Good good call. Um, that's less likely, but it's possible. No, it's, it's possible, possible, though. It's possible. Um, and then someone had a follow-up in regards to this question. When mine squeals on the G grace note, it typically means there's too much tape on the high G. So there's another possibility. So if there's a lot of tape on the high G, uh, that can cause squeaks. So make sure, always make sure there's no more than a quarter of your high G hole covered in tape. Yeah. All those, so those, those are the five things. I started off with like two or three, and we ended up with five. But yeah, those are the five culprits, I would say. So uh, you could be overblowing. Your reed could just be old or chipped and needs replacing. You could have some gunk in the reed. You could have too much tape on high G, or you could be missing the holes. It's one of those things. Yep. Next question. My pipe major gave all of us new reeds. I can only mouth blow two bars of Scott and the Brave with it. I waited a week to try this at home. Is it reasonable to think it will break in enough to pass the test, or is it likely a lost cause? The prompt for this change was that our sound was thin. I am very new to my pipes. Who asked this question? I don't remember. It's a great question. Susan. Okay, Susan asked the question. All right. So, um, you should never play any read ever where you can't get through 16 beats of music on it mouth blown. Okay, now let's explore this. Let's say that there's merit to this, that your pipe band sound is thin and it has to do with how easy everybody's reads are. It's not. Newsflash, it's not the reason your sound is thin. Uh, but let's pretend that this premise was real or that, you know, uh, blowing harder reads is something that actually needed to happen. Nine times out of ten, it's not, okay? Just want just to say that. I have a strong personality. Um, uh, that's not the reason, but let's say hypothetically that it was, uh, I, you would, I would set up a separate chanter. It doesn't even have to be a good sounding chanter. And I would put that new read that's too hard in it. And I would blow it for five to 10 minutes on either side of my proper practice session with a read. That's the correct strength for me. Okay. And that will help you build up some strength and stamina. It'll also slowly break in the right. reed, too. And then we'll also be able to see with, with 10 to 15 to 20 minutes a day on that read, you know, uh, within, what do we usually say? Within 10 hours of playing, 5 yeah. to 10 hours of playing, it'll be broken in as much as it will ever break in. So, you know, after a couple of weeks of doing that, you'll know if that read is going to uh, become easier in strength. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's the real reason your pipe band sound is thin? Okay. The number one is, probably the number one reason is the individual constituents in the band are not operating their instruments at the sweet spot of their chanter reads. That's reason number one. Reason number two is whoever is tuning the pipe core um, is almost certainly seating the reeds in the wrong manner, resulting in too much top hand tape. 
resulting in really thin, inharmonic um, chanter sound, especially on those high-hand notes. Got me? Those are the two real reasons your sound is thin. Uh, there are other reasons, too, of course, which could be maybe you're going for a pitch that's too high. Maybe um, uh, people are blowing unsteadily, and that just sort of generally leads to not great sound. But the real reason your sound is thin has nothing to do with the strength of the reeds. Right. Or, or the other thin reason that pipe, pipe bands sound thin is uh, that half the pipers aren't playing because they didn't learn the music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're laughing about it, but it's pretty common. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bob, that's a great question. I'm going to answer it. Uh, now, let's just talk one more thing. There's two areas in which the band playing harder reads could potentially benefit your sound. Okay, but it has nothing to do with how thin the sound is. Zero percent to do with that. Thing number one is it can offer more volume. Harder reads crank out slightly more volume than softer reads. So if you want a bigger, uh, more greater volume to your sound, playing harder reads could benefit you in that quest. More volume is almost never that important. Field Marshal Montgomery is not the loudest pipe core on the park by a long shot, but they're still by far the best and by the by far the least thin, the richest sound even though they're not the loudest, right? So loudness is overrated. That's one reason a band might shoot to play harder reads. Uh, actually, okay, I'm fine. There's now three reasons. Uh, the second reason, you might get more clarity out of your execution with a read that's harder. So the harder read tends to project better, and we tend to hear more detail work in some of the execution. Um, and it's a subjective thing, but seems to be true. So that might benefit you. And then the only other reason uh, is to uh, increase the tuning stability. So a reed is not going to fluctuate uh, pitch-wise as much. It'll still fluctuate a lot, okay, but maybe not as much uh, as a soft, softer reed, especially if uh, accidental changes in blowing were to occur. So... Those are some reasons a slightly harder read might be in your benefit if you're playing in a higher level band, to be sure. Okay, but uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, probably a slight setup issue more than anything yep. else. So what I would do if someone gave me a read that was too hard for me is I would switch that read with a read of appropriate strength and just play that read. Yeah. And then, um, and then, because I'm always well prepared for band practice and I also know my stuff, when the pipe major confronts me about it because he believes I should be playing a stronger read, I will say, what are you going to do, bro? You going to kick me out? And then let's see if, see, if, uh, see if he's willing to, to back it up. <laughs> so what are you gonna that's do? exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> what are you going to do, bro? Which is actually not really true, right? Because I really like playing an Inverary, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure if I displayed that kind of negative attitude, yeah, they would just move on and find someone else. So maybe, but maybe there's a happy medium there. Maybe you could just talk to the pipe major like, hey, like this is a little extreme. Can you give me something a little bit less than this and just use a little diplomacy to get you a read that you know uh, will allow you to play the best music? Yeah. Let's answer Bob's question yeah. before we run out of time. Yeah, uh, great question, which is, 
How can a band tune to everyone's sweet spot? They will all be different. Yeah, no matter what read you like. So every read sweet spot is different. As a matter of fact, a sweet spot can change over the it does course. change. And it does change over the course of playing your pipes. So your sweet spot's different in the first five minutes than it will be in the last five minutes that you play, for sure. The sweet spot only has to do with the pressure at which your read sounds the best. So what we want to do, Bob, is we want to set up every read so that when it's blown at the pressure that it sounds the best, everybody is in tune with each other. So we'll use tuning techniques such as uh, raising and sinking the read, uh, potentially applying some tape here and there um, to certain notes. Um, we'll, we'll use our tuning techniques when we're setting up a band to ensure that when everyone in the band is blowing at their unique sweet spot, um, they're all tuned uh, to the exact same frequencies. So they're all in tune with each other when blown at the sweet spot. So the sweet spot doesn't have anything to do with pitch. It has to do with the optimal blowing pressure that produces the best quality of sound. Uh, but that's a good, it's a great question, and it's a common sort of misconception that, that the two are somehow related. Now, right. it's very hard. It's much easier to tune people than it is to teach all people to blow at the sweet spot. Right. Um, what, what happens even in very good bands, like I remember playing in the Stuart Highlanders and, um, and Oren Moore before that, we could set up the band. Um, so going back to the Stuart Highlanders example, me, Carl was involved, Eric Olette, Keegan Sheehan, Adam Holdaway, the finest minds in the history of American piping. Okay, I'm kidding there. I'm getting to the end of the class. I'm starting to, starting to go a little crazy. Uh, the finest minds I can think of. Um, uh, we could set that band up really, really well, but it only lasted for 30 seconds. Now, why did it only last for 30 seconds? It's not because the pipes were getting wet. Uh, it's not because they're drifting out of tune. What's the real reason? And we discovered this, and we learned this over time. The real reason is people only blow correctly for about 30 seconds before they get tired or distracted or both, and they no longer blow that reed at the nice sweet spot, and so uh, the sound tends to get a little bit more thin, a little less stable. Obviously, that some of the intervals go out of tune, like the D, in particular, right? And then so, we're chasing it as, as players. Like if you hear the guy next to you go out of tune, well, you say, "Well, I thought I was blowing right, and it was in tune. Maybe it's me." And then you change, and then the guy next to you—it's just this terrible. And the best circle. bands are the best, right? Uh, the best bands are the best uh, because they have players that can maintain the sweet spot for entire performances. Yeah. You know, Field Marshall Montgomery players, Inverary players, SFU players. What else we got? Scottish Power players, St. Lawrence O'Toole players. These are the guys. They, you, you, you might have people in your band that have better fingers than them. Uh, but these are the guys that can sustain a great instrument sound across an entire performance. Yeah. Uh, because the process of getting a great tone is unconsciously competent for each of the individuals in the pipe core. Ta-da! Full circle. <laughs> That's it. I, I'm done for today. It must take years of practice. It takes months of hard practice to really start to get it. It's less about the uh, it's less about the amount of time that elapses, uh, and more it has more to do with the amount of time actually spent um, learning that specific skill 
and, yeah. and perhaps receiving feedback on that. Like you also have to receive feedback enough. So if you can receive a ton of feedback in, a, in three days time, let's say, you can make a lot of progress in a short elapsed period. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Good session. I, I feel fired up. Yeah. I think I'm going to turn that one into a podcast. There, there are some, some really good moments. Yeah. I like it. Sounds workable in my lifetime. Well, you don't have to be perfect to be good. Just remember that. And I'm not saying everyone in these top bands is perfect. I'm far from perfect. Um, and, uh, but, but you can get to a high degree of competency, um, and anybody can, can do that. And it's just about moving the needle each day. And that interest compounds way faster than you think it will. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.